Happy Halloween. <laughs> this is uh, a tradition here at IMS, the pumpkins. And it's a, it's a real act of love on the part of the staff, too. I, we, in the last few days, they've been in the staff dining room carving pumpkins and... It's been so much fun to see just how engaged uh, and how much um, they they do this for you and for themselves as well. But I mean, partly because you know the um, the act of generosity feels good. So you know this is a, this is a delightful part of the tradition here. I hope. You all got to see them in the dark. But if you didn't, you get another chance (laughs) at the chanting. So come to the chanting tonight. (laughs) This morning, Greg spoke about the aspect of our experience, a kind of every moment aspect of our experience, that is, of whether our experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. The Pali word for this is Vedana. And it is, uh, as Greg mentioned this morning, it is the second foundation, the second establishment of mindfulness. This very simple aspect of experience the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant or neutral aspect of experience. The the Buddha found it important enough to emphasize that it kind of it gets its own foundation, this very simple aspect of experience. And he emphasizes it a lot in his teachings, emphasizes noticing the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral aspect of experience, partly because of its relationship to craving. That when in our minds the mind is kind of caught or um, doesn't understand the, the, um, the nature of suffering... So when the mind has a kind of an ignorance or a delusion about how suffering comes to be, then when pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling arises, it will lead to craving. It will lead on to liking, wanting, greed. In the case of pleasant, it will lead on to not liking, not wanting, wanting to get rid of, aversion for unpleasant experience. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant often we, we, we miss entirely or we space out around it or we get bored. We think it's unimportant in some way. We crave something other than that neutral experience or we crave we crave a kind of um, follow-on I'll speak more about that. Speak more about that later. And so the Buddha pointed to it as a very important part of our um, understanding. 
And that when we begin to kind of, when we can start to be aware, we can be mindful of the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral quality, then it can kind of, um, that awareness in that moment of whether something is pleasant or unpleasant can kind of short circuit that, that automatic movement seemingly automatic movement to greed or aversion or confusion, delusion. I want to read the, um, a little piece of the Satipatthana Sutta on this, um, this aspect. And so I'll just remind you of the phrase I spoke about last week, using feelings in there. One abides, observing feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware and mindful, setting aside desire and distress for the world. And this section of the Satipatthana Sutta continues, and how does one abide observing feelings as feelings? Kind of acknowledging that that is a shorthand And he goes into more detail. With each of the establishments of mindfulness, he goes into more detail. And how does one abide observing body as body or feeling as feeling? The instructions in this part of the text are really simple. And I think Greg said it this morning, but I'll repeat it. It bears repeating. And how does one abide observing feelings as feelings? Here, when a pleasant... When feeling a pleasant feeling, one understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one understands, I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, one understands, I feel a neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple instructions. And yet the feeling, which is arising in every moment of experience, every contact, every contact with the sense, every sight, every sound, every smell, every taste, every touch, every experience arising in the mind, has a feeling tone that arises with it. The feeling tone is conditioned on that contact. If the contact doesn't happen, the feeling tone doesn't happen. And so there is this, um, every moment of experience, this feeling tone is there. It's understood to be a a universal aspect of every moment of experience. There's always a feeling tone there. And yet, we often miss it. Partly, it's a subtle aspect of experience. At times, it can be a subtle aspect of experience. The neutral, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, is a particularly subtle aspect of experience. And there's kind of a range, at least in my experience. It's not like an on-off switch with pleasant. It's like there's a range. that Maybe it's subtly pleasant, or very pleasant, or slightly unpleasant or extremely unpleasant. 
And so there's a range of, of the feelings, and they tend to kind of bubble into our consciousness on the, on the ends of the spectrum as they get stronger. And partly, too, we don't notice the feeling tone. That's often the way we translate um, Vedana as feeling tone, partly to distinguish the word a feeling. It's not, so it's not feeling as emotion, it's just this very simple aspect of feeling. But often in our usual way of navigating the world, we are responding and reacting to feeling tone, essentially trying to kind of navigate and create conditions where we kind of accumulate pleasant, get rid of unpleasant. And so we are, we are kind of motivated in this, um, um, when we don't understand how suffering arises, when we are, we're not clear about kind of the, the process by which we get caught, then our usual tendency is to, when there's something pleasant, we like it and we want it. We want to hold on to it. There's greed around it. When there's something unpleasant, we don't like it. We want to get rid of it. We want, there's aversion there. And so very often with our habitual um, tendencies in the mind, we miss the pleasant and unpleasant, the actual experience of pleasant and unpleasant, because we're so busy responding or reacting to it, trying to hold on to it if it's pleasant, trying to push it away if it's unpleasant. And so this habitual response, we kind of leap over the pleasant or unpleasant in favor of doing something about it, trying to keep it, get rid of it. The Buddha pointed out that not only is this feeling tone a kind of a a universal experience. It, it happens with every sense contact for, for us. But it is also everyone, including people who are fully awakened. And so this is, uh, immediately puts the, um, the kind of the, the damper on the idea that if we become fully enlightened, we'll never experience anything unpleasant again. Because the Buddha says here, an untaught worldling, that's someone who hasn't met the Dharma or is caught in the views of needing to get what I want, needing to get rid of what I don't want. That's, that's what we would mean by an untaught worldling. An untaught worldling experiences pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant feelings. A well-taught noble disciple likewise experiences pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant feelings. So what's the difference between them, the Buddha says. And he goes on to say, when an untaught worldling is touched by a painful bodily feeling, they worry and grieve, they lament, beat their breast, weeping, and become distraught. Thus they experience two kinds of feelings one bodily and one mental. It is as if someone were pierced by a dart. 
And then, following the first piercing, is hit by a second dart. So that person will experience feelings caused by two darts. So this is our habitual response to feeling before we learn about the Dharma, before we learn about the value of wise mindfulness. In the case of a well-taught noble disciple, when touched by a painful feeling, they will not worry nor grieve or lament, will not beat their breast and weep, nor become distraught. Only one kind of feeling is experienced, a bodily one, but not a mental one. It is as if someone were pierced by a dart, but was not hit by a second dart following the first one. And so this is what he's pointing to, that when an untaught person, when somebody who's not met the Dharma is, is met by an unpleasant feeling, they react with aversion, with woe is me, this is a problem, got to figure something out, got to fix it, got to get rid of it, got to collapse in despair. When a person who has understood the Dharma experiences an unpleasant feeling, they experience an unpleasant feeling. It doesn't ripple on. This, um, this kind of um, second dart piece, this, I think that what this um, sutta points to is the difference, and I, I, Greg told me that he mentioned this part this morning, so I want to reinforce this. There's a difference between the unpleasant experience or the pleasant experience and our response to it. Unpleasant. We might think that the unpleasant and the not liking of unpleasant are the same thing. And that the, the, the kind of subsequent aversion would be just you know kind of automatically there with the unpleasant. Likewise with pleasant, there is you know, often a very quick follow-on of liking and then wanting. But that liking is different from the pleasant. It is possible to experience unpleasant and have zero ripple in the mind of not liking. It is just unpleasant feeling. It is possible to experience pleasant feeling and not have a ripple of liking in the mind. It is just pleasant feeling. And so this also points to kind of our our habitual movement from feeling tone, kind of a leaping. It's kind of our habitual movement when our mind is in its habitual, ordinary state where it's, it's got that kind of view that pleasant is good, unpleasant is bad, need to have pleasant, need to get rid of pleasant, unpleasant. That, that when there is feeling with that kind of mind state, 
which is basically the mind state of ignorance and craving. It's like the mind will leap off of that unpleasant or pleasant right into greed and aversion. And so when it's not seen, when the feeling tone is not seen, it's, like, it's almost like a launching pad into dukkha. So it's really worth starting to be curious about it. When that uh, feeling tone is met with wise mindfulness, there doesn't have to be this automatic kind of habitual movement from feeling to craving to clinging to identification to suffering. The feeling tone is understood. At this, so there's a feeling tone associated with every experience that we have. Every physical experience, every mental experience, every sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, everything arising in our mind, there's a feeling tone associated with it. The feeling tone itself is understood to be a mental process in the mind. The the aspect of Vedana is understood to be one of the five aggregates, uh, five, we could call them five processes of body and mind that make up the whole of our sense experience. And these five aggregates include the bodily processes, the physical form processes, and then there's feeling, this pleasant, unpleasant, neutral aspect of of experience. Then there's perception, this recognition piece we've talked about a little bit. There's mental formations, the the intentional and um, motivating aspect of our experience. And then there's consciousness, the, the quality or the aspect of our minds that knows things. And so the, the Buddha kind of divided up our experience. Everything that we experience will have these five threads coming together in some way. Every experience has a kind of uh, the weaving of these five threads. And so the, uh, in the five aggregates, the, the one, one process is a bodily process. The other four are understood to be mental processes. Feeling, the, 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 the experience of feeling something is understood to be put together by the mind. Perception, likewise. Mental formations, likewise. Consciousness. These are mental functionings. Mental functionings. And so feeling is under, even physical, the feeling associated with physical sensations is understood to be mental. So that might not be so intuitive. So let's explore that a little bit. Because it, it points to, it begins to point to something that's pretty important about feeling tone. The feeling tone is not in the experience. It's not inherent in a sense contact. There's a sense contact, and then there's processes in the mind that, out of conditioning, put together the feeling. So here's a study. I want want to just say that the uh, current psychological, neurological research agrees with the Buddha here. That feeling is mental. 
So there was a study uh, done about the feeling of pain. And they, the, the, the lead off in this is pain isn't always a pain. Sometimes it can feel good. And the, the way they did this study is they had two parts to it. They had a, a part where the, the people in the study were exposed to a series of stimulus. They were either moderately painful or not painful. And so they were, they were just given you know, stimulus after stimulus. And so they were rating then, you know, is this experience painful or is this experience not painful? They rated the moderately painful, like an electric shock, a mild electric shock, um, to be painful in that first part of the experiment. In the second part of the experiment, they were exposed to either a moderately painful or a more strongly painful experience. So they were given this series of moderately painful and more strongly painful. And they were warned. They were, they were kind of... Um, shown a screen that told them what kind of stimulus was going to be coming up. Is it going to be moderately painful or more painful? And in the rating of this part of the experiment, when they rated the experiences, the moderately painful sensation was rated as pleasant. I'll read a little bit about this because the uh, researchers were surprised by this result. During the moderate stimulus in the second setup, let's, I'll read this first part. Interestingly, participants rated the moderate pain as actually pleasurable in the second setup when the alternative was the intense pain. During the moderate stimulus in the second setup, participants' brain activity also showed less activation in the pain region of the brain, the brain stem, and more activation in a region in the middle of the frontal lobes that's associated with pain relief and pleasure. So it wasn't just what they were reporting. Their brains were actually experiencing pleasure with this moderately, uh, moderately painful stimulus. The researchers said, the likely explanation is that the subjects were prepared for the worst and thus felt relieved when they realized the pain was not going to be as bad as they feared. In other words, a sense of relief can be powerful enough to turn such an obviously negative experience as pain into a sensation that is comforting or even enjoyable. So this points to how conditioning, conditions affect whether we experience something as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. I experienced... um, a little bit of this in a way at one, on one three-month retreat. I think it was my first three-month retreat. It was in part one where they had cut some of the apples, taken some of the apples off the tree. They were freshly picked apples. And I had not had many freshly picked apples before. And when I put this apple in my mouth, it was incredibly pleasant. That, that experience was very strong. There was the, the taste was there, but just the pleasure... It was like these bubbles of pleasure throughout my whole body. And this eve, that evening, they had apples and bean dip. And, so, and there was something else. I can't remember what else it, there was. But, so I was kind of, I had a taste then of bean dip. And the bean dip had a completely different taste to it, flavor, 
Um, it, it was kind of pleasant, but nowhere near as pleasant as the apple. And then when I had a bite of apple following the bean dip, it was like even more pleasant. <laughs> Something about the contrast of the, the, the acid or the kind of, um, the kind of um, bitterness of the bean followed by the, um, the tartness of the apple and the sweetness of the apple. It was like the pleasantness was even stronger. And then as I went on, I noticed that like, more exposure, like the expectation part, you know, that like in the experiment, something about the expectation affected the, uh, the, the feeling tone. And in this case, kind of the expectation of pleasant seemed to diminish the pleasant. And so over time, you know, it's like the, the subsequent bites of apple, the last slice of apple, it was, you know, it was kind of pleasant, but it was not that like burst of like rapture. I was like, yeah, that's pleasant apple. So a different experience, same apple, same tongue, different expectations, different conditions. The feeling tone is not in the experience. It's not in the object. It is created in dependence on that contact with a whole host of other things going on. Views and conditioning and beliefs. So it can be useful to play with feeling tone. To kind of begin to get familiar with it. Um, the other day in the morning instructions, I mentioned that um, you know sometimes when we give instructions, it's it's helpful not to try to do it too much uh, because it might like tie you into knots. And I would say in this case, you know, I don't. It's not probably that you need to like spend like the entire day looking at can I feel pleasant or unpleasant. That probably will tie you into knots. But on occasion, it can be useful to just be curious about what is the feeling tone here, what's going on, is this pleasant or unpleasant. Spend some time familiarizing yourself with this aspect of experience because it does tend to be a subtler experience, that we don't have a lot of experience being, um, being um, aware of. And so it can be useful to take a little bit of time and kind of check in. Can I know the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral aspect of experience here? Probably the easiest place to begin this exploration is in our physical bodies, especially the touch sense. Our, uh, our, our, the nerves of our, our, our skin is kind of like it's, it's, uh, it's very wired into this part of the brain that feels pleasant and unpleasant or interprets things as pleasant and unpleasant. And so um, that, that's a, that can be a good place to check in. You know, we, we maybe particularly gravitate or notice unpleasant experience in the body. Or maybe we, we're starting to notice a kind of quality of pleasantness with the breath. A great, a great exploration around unpleasantness is if you have an itch. You know, an itch is one of those experiences that is almost universally felt as unpleasant. It's a kind of a, um, 
You know, it's a it's a kind of a, a buzzing experience in my in my experience, and it comes and goes as I've explored and investigated it. It's like a little zinging experience in a very small location that goes zzz and then stops, and then zzz. It's almost like a little mosquito underneath the skin or something. But from my knowledge, nobody has ever um, like died from observing an inch. And so while it can drive us nuts, it's a great place to begin to explore that pleasant, unpleasant, and also to explore how, how it's impermanent and how it comes and goes with the sensation because the itch, at least in my experience, has kind of got this on-off quality. And if we're kind of exploring the unpleasantness of it, we'll see that when the sensation stops that itch sensation will like be on for a few moments and then off and then on and then off. And if you are aware of the, the unpleasantness there, you'll feel also that the unpleasantness stops when the sensation stops. Just kind of exploring that. And then also exploring the relationship to unpleasant. This is another big piece of the, of the exploration, not only to get familiar with the experience of pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But get familiar with our habitual responses. When there is that unpleasant experience, what does our mind do with it? Usually it's averse. It wants to get rid of it. It wants to to reach up and scratch. It wants to fix it, to change it. And so the um, noticing the aversion... And noticing, too, an important piece, which um, I mentioned earlier, that the aversion and the unpleasantness are different. They're not the same thing. The aversion is a response to, a reaction to the unpleasantness. And what we might notice as we explore this is how when the aversion is strong... It's like there's a multiplicative effect. It's like when it's like when uh, there's there's the the two darts. You know, there's the unpleasantness and the aversion. It was like what Beth said the other day. It's like they they multiply each other. It's like ten times ten, it's a hundred. The unpleasantness of it is ten times ten, it's a hundred. And then you might see that that when the aversion weakens, maybe the aversion weakens down to three or four, then instead of being a hundred, it's like 30, the experience of unpleasantness. So we can see how with the, the shifting of the aversion, how the overall experience of unpleasant changes and how we attribute, in, in effect, the, that multiplication of of, of the, um, the aversion with the unpleasantness. We attribute the entire thing to the sensation itself. But as we see that shifting of aversion, we, we might begin to recognize, oh, actually the actual experience of unpleasantness here is not as strong as I thought it was. And feeling how the, the aversion amps it up if we can actually connect with the, the actual experience of unpleasantness, we might find that it's 
almost in an, an anticipation or it's the, the idea of the unpleasantness that adds to or multiplies with that sensation. And sometimes it's the idea of this is going to last forever. And so not only are we kind of feeling the unpleasantness of this split second, but our minds are picking up this is going to last for the rest of the sitting. So we're, we're picking up the additional 40 minutes and multiplying all the unpleasantness by 40 minutes and, and, and experiencing that multiplication. So noticing the experience, the unpleasantness, and then what the response is. The aversion and the greed tend to be in relationship to the pleasantness and unpleasantness. We might think that we're actually we might think that we're reacting to the itch, or we might think we're reacting to some actual quality of the object itself. But our system, our our minds more are reacting to the pleasantness or unpleasantness. It's, it's a very basic part of our, of our minds. And it's, an, it's, an, it's, a, you know, it's a kind of a normal or natural part of our minds too, evolutionarily. You know, even single-celled creatures move towards nourishment, food, and away from noxious chemicals in their environment. So single-celled creatures have this kind of, you know, movement towards what would be what we would call pleasant and away from what we call unpleasant. And so it's kind of in our um, evolutionary uh, DNA that we have this relationship to pleasant and unpleasant. And yet in our system, in our human system, you know, a single-celled organism doesn't have any choice in this matter of moving towards pleasant and away from unpleasant. In our case, this is not a hardwired reaction. It is constructed in the mind and we can begin to, um, in experiencing the pleasant and unpleasant, instead of reacting automatically out of aversion and greed, we might be able to um, act with wisdom and compassion. And so it's not necessarily that we just sit there and like, you know, let a painful experience continue. You know, in the sitting, sometimes we talk about if there is a, a painful experience, like if you're experiencing um, um, a kind of a pain that where there's numbness that continues for quite a while after you get up, you know, that's probably damaging a nerve. And we encourage people not to physically damage themselves. And so, but that, that experience of unpleasantness, of feeling the pain, and the recognition, this is a painful sensation that is not, um, that is, that is not helpful for the health of the body, the decision can be made to shift posture, not out of aversion, but out of understanding and compassion. And so again, this, this, this teaching might be misunderstood 
to uh, kind of have the sense that, well, all we're supposed to do is sit there passively experiencing this flow of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. That's a training that we do to begin to understand how our aversion and our greed um, are reactions to the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And yet there is this uh, possibility of... The, the Buddha, as, as he said, you know, the Buddha experienced pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. There are stories of the Buddha telling Ananda, I'm not going to give the Dharma talk tonight. My back is in too much pain. I'm going to do some lying meditation. Would you give the Dharma talk, Ananda? And I have to understand and assume that this was not coming out of aversion, but just out of understanding. So, noticing the experience, physical experience, and what's the feeling tone, noticing the relationship to it. We can also recognize and um, kind of be aware of the feeling tone associated with mental experience. Some of these are easier than others. Happiness, for instance, does have a pleasant quality to it. A lightness and the, the lightness and the, the, the mind feels delighted and that's got a pleasant quality to it. Fear also often has an unpleasant quality to it. Anger often has an unpleasant quality to it. And so we can also be aware of the feeling associated with our mind states. Thoughts may have a subtle um, feeling tone associated with them. Maybe not. Some thoughts may or may not, the feeling tone tone may be pleasant or unpleasant, or or often it might, in thoughts, the feeling tone of the thought itself might be neutral. What often can happen is that a thought turns into an idea or a belief or a view, and then there's emotions that come in with that, and then there's a kind of a whole collection of feelings that come in association with a thought. So thoughts can have very complex uh, layers of different feelings associated, different feeling tones associated with the different threads of what's happening in connection with that thought. And so sometimes the, the exploration is, you know, we can't necessarily say in this moment it feels only like pleasant or only like unpleasant. Maybe it feels like it's flickering between pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral with these experiences in the mind. Views, what we're thinking, what we're believing. This is uh, actually a big part of the conditioning associated with feeling tone. What we believe, what we're thinking, what's, what's kind of in our minds at the time that something happens has a big effect on how we experience something as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. This, the study that I mentioned the expectation of it being a moderately painful or a very painful, more painful experience. The expectation of less pain creating a sense of relief that affects the feeling tone. So views, beliefs, 
agendas, um, expectations, are one of the leading causes of feeling tone, one of the leading reasons why we feel something as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. As a kind of an interesting exploration, I heard this teaching, um, there's a teaching in the, one of the, um, it's in the Abhidhamma, which is um, an early, we could say it's an early commentary um, on the suttas. In the Abhidhamma, in an exploration around feeling tone, the Abhidhamma gets very precise about things. It kind of chops things up into little bits. And, and it says that the feeling tone associated with our physical sense, physical touch sense, will be either pleasant or unpleasant, but will not be neutral. So our physical touch sense, in the, so the, the feeling that's constructed in dependence on our physical touch sense, the Abhidhamma says, is going to be pleasant or unpleasant. Now I have to say, just kind of off the bat, that I don't know that I... Um, whether this, this teaching is true, I don't know fully that I believe it, but I found it to be a very useful and interesting exploration. So, so physical touch sense, pleasant or unpleasant. The other physical senses, the Abhidhamma says, sight, sound, smell, taste, neutral, will not be pleasant or unpleasant. And then there is the mind where there is the full range of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And so the understanding in this teaching is that anytime we see something and are interpreting that sight as pleasant, it is not the sight itself that we are experiencing as pleasant. It's something going on in our minds. That it's a subtle kind of... Uh, um, a belief, a view, a perception that we interpret as pleasant or unpleasant. And so hearing this, I, 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 I thought, I mean, I'm just exploring this a little bit. Intellectually, it kind of made sense to me in some way, because I know, like the way the eye works. You know, what happens, what happens in the eye is there's light that hits the retina, and there's form and color. And that, you know, all the eye actually sees, the only contact that's actually there is form and color. There's no, there's no objects there already. The objects are created through perception, that mental experience. And so if we're perceiving something, looking out and um, seeing, the, uh, seeing a beautiful flower or seeing a decomposing corpse, from the eye's perspective, the pure sight, it's just form and color. It takes the mind recognizing it as a beautiful flower, as a decomposing corpse, before there is that quality of pleasant or unpleasant. That the, the, the form and color is just going to be neutral. And so this to me was an interesting kind of exploration. It's like, okay, well, there's, when I'm taking some sense experience to be pleasant or unpleasant, you know, what's, the, what's going on in the mind there? What's, what's happening there? So there was a, 
a time I was, um, one night, I was woke up in the middle of the night and I was having some trouble sleeping and so I decided to meditate. This was at home. And uh, I had a spot in my room where I would get up and sit to meditate. And I often found that when I did that, if I sat and meditate for like half an hour or 45 minutes and when I went back to bed, the mind would just be very relaxed and just fall back asleep easily. And so, um, so I would get up and I would sit. And this one night I was sitting and I was hearing, um, you know, as, as the meditation went on, some time into the meditation, I began hearing this very quiet noise. It sounded like it was in the wall, just like a little scratching noise. That kind of noise. And my experience was that it was unpleasant, and I noted that, unpleasant, and kind of went back to my breath or just paying attention to whatever was, and then the sound would come back and I'd notice it as unpleasant. And, you know, at one point, it came back a lot during the sitting. And at some point, as that... um, as that uh, sound came back, I noticed a subtle flash of fear. And the fear was definitely unpleasant. As I, as I, you know, as I watched that, you know, kept watching it, then I, I began to see there were you know, maybe some thoughts, even images, like the image of a rat in the wall. And this was unpleasant. And as the, as the mind began to see all these different components that when the, um, the sound came back and, I, and the, the recognition was that the, the mind was reacting to the idea that it was a rat in the wall with some fear, that when I heard the sound again, I realized the sound itself was pretty neutral. That what was going on was the interpretation of the sound was what the mind was reacting to. So this kind of... This kind of exploration can be very interesting for us. What are we actually reacting to? You know, you're sitting in the hall and you hear a noise. Is, if there's aversion with that noise, is it the noise? Is it the sound itself? I mean, maybe you, you're exploring, experiencing that sound as unpleasant. But is it the sound itself that's unpleasant? Or is it some idea that your mind has created that's unpleasant? This was like mind-blowing to me. I began to see that, that when I was averse to things, it's like, you know, I was, I was not averse to what was actually out there. I was averse to something my mind created. And I start to just get so amused by this. It's like, wow, you know, the mind creates something and then hates it. <laughs> Does it have to do that? I would say that most of our reactivity... See, I don't know whether this teaching of, you know, the, the taste and smell and sound are inherently, um, you know, neutral. Particularly with taste, I think there may be something in the taste, like, you know, those taste buds at the back of the tongue, you know, that, 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 that kind of gag if something, there's something bitter that goes across there. You know... Maybe there's something inherently unpleasant there. I don't know. But I have found this kind of teaching interesting in terms of curiosity about what am I actually reacting to? What is actually unpleasant when there's aversion? So when there's aversion happening, 
a kind of a curiosity. Well, what is actually, what is the mind actually reacting to? At one point, I was doing walking meditation in this hall here, in the, in the hall, just on the other side, the upper walking room. And uh, I experienced a lot of aversion in walking meditation. Um, I had aversion to the people around me. Greg mentioned the other day he appreciated that people kind of moved over and let him kind of squish in. Well, when that kind of thing would happen, my aversion would just go through the roof. (laughs) And I would just be, you know, I probably looked fine, but I was sitting there like, working with my aversion. And one time, you know, this person came in and squeezed right next to me, and this, you know, mushrooming of aversion happened. It's like, okay, Carol said that when there's aversion happening, there's something unpleasant going on. What is it? And so I started getting curious. I went through all of the senses. And, and looking, you know, the person was not unpleasant physically looking. You know, it's like, okay, check, that one's not it. <laughs> they didn't smell bad. They weren't touching me. And, you know, it's like I went through all the senses. It's like none of those physical senses is where the, is where the unpleasantness is. I was like, well, it must be something in the mind, you know. But I didn't see it. You know, I didn't really see what was going on there. So I just kept walking back and forth. It's like, what's going on in the mind that there's something unpleasant there? And then I saw a thought in the mind. And the thought was, they're weird. And my justification for that was that it was the middle of winter, it was freezing cold, and they had bare feet. And as soon as the mind saw that, saw that that was what was the aversion, the aversion was about, the whole thing just collapsed. And in the next pass, there was metta for the person. So curiosity about this can be so powerful. And exploring neutral is also so helpful. I mean, neutral is that place where we often don't even notice it. You know, so it's neutral, neutral experience. It's like we, we kind of just blow over it. But as, as our meditation deepens, as, as our mind gets more and more balanced, let's say, um, more equanimity, there tends to be more neutral available. Partly because our minds in, um, in their habitual reactivity are kind of searching out pleasant and unpleasant. I definitely noticed this at one point. Um, one of my teachers asked me to just close my eyes and just like let my attention roam through my body and choicelessly let it land on something. And he said, "Okay." I said, and he said, "And do it again, you know, and do it again." And and I just did this, you know. I was doing this in silence, and he just kept guiding me. And the next thing, you know, what's the next thing your attention lands on? And what's the next thing? And he used the word choiceless there. You know, just don't have it be a choice. Just let it land. And when he stopped me in the exercise and asked me what had happened, I said, well, you know, I wasn't, like, searching anything out, but it 
couldn't possibly have been completely choiceless because every single thing that my mind landed on was unpleasant. Every experience my mind picked, every most obvious thing that it it oriented to was unpleasant. And I understood in that moment that it was a conditioned kind of habit of the mind. This mind has, um, has had a kind of a tendency towards aversion. And what does an aversive mind do, actually? You know, it's like it searches out the unpleasant so that it can get rid of it, so that it can fix it. That was like a revelation to me to see this mind is not just receiving information kind of neutrally, like, like a camera and a microphone. It's like it's, it's filtering things in based on habit based on a habit of aversion in this case. Some of you may have more of a habit of of greed. You might walk into a room and immediately it'd be like, oh, I like that plant. Look at these pumpkins, they're so cool. And so there might be a tendency to gravitate towards the pleasant. We all may have a kind of an underlying tendency towards this. But as the mind gets more equanimous, these underlying tendencies get weaker and we start to be more in contact with the neutral. And this begins to show us, you know, it, it, this begins to, to be a whole new kind of terrain to explore. A couple of things in my own experience exploring in this, this terrain of neutral. One of the things I began to see is that when the mind, the mind got more into a place where there was neutral stuff, you know, not a lot of pleasant or unpleasant. In that place, if the mind was pl- present, able to be with it, there was quite a bit of continuity of mindfulness. But if the mindfulness weakened, from that place of neutral, it's like the mind would orient to its most familiar habits. So I was doing walking meditation and experiencing quite a bit of neutral and um, and just like, you know, noticing that, noticing the experience. And I'd also heard that some of my teachers said, you know, this is like a sign of equanimity. And so I was like, oh, this is good. So I was, I was kind of, a, you know, leaning into the experience and, and thinking, oh, maybe something really good will happen. And I was just experiencing neutral and more neutral and more neutral and more neutral and nothing like really good happened that that was in my mind something really good, something I was looking for to be like some proof of something or other. And when nothing really good happened, the mind immediately like went into, you're a failure. You screwed up. You don't know how to do this. It's like this is this was one of my one of my big patterns. This self negativity, a self hatred kind of pattern. You're a failure. You're no good. Out of nothing, out of neutral experience, this is what the mind created. Partly because that was a strong habit of mind. So fortunately, this time I did see it. I saw that first thought. You failed, and. I could see the kind of movement towards the whole pattern of I'm, I'm no good, I'm a failure that would cycle into self-hatred. But seeing it, it could fall away. 
So exploring what's happening around neutral as well. Sometimes neutral can lead to boredom. You know, just like nothing's happening. Don't want something more pleasant, more... Even, even some... We like the highs and lows. You know, it's like that's what we've been attuned to. And so as it gets more neutral, there can be a sense of, is this, is this all there is? You know, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? There must be something better that's supposed to be happening. So the Satipatthana Sutta suggests simply recognizing what kind of feeling is happening. One feeling a pleasant feeling, one understands and feeling a pleasant feeling. One feeling an unpleasant feeling, one understands feeling an unpleasant feeling. Simple. It doesn't say try to get rid of unpleasant feelings. Judge unpleasant feeling. Just know it. It's there. It's said in many places in the suttas there's an emphasis on understanding the impermanent nature of feeling. This is understood to lead to freedom. Understanding feeling as it arises persists and passes away. So that's another piece of the exploration to be curious about. Notice the impermanent nature of feeling. We can also, through that, understand that it's unreliable. This kind of attribution of reliability to pleasant, unpleasant, you know, I, I, as an aversive type, I would like get stuck to unpleasantness, trying to get rid of it. It would be like if this table were something unpleasant, it would be I'd be stuck to it with super glue, trying to push it away. Other people may have a different response to unpleasant. They may, knowing unpleasant, kind of go, oh, this is unpleasant. Let's find something pleasant. So there are different responses to that. But as we begin to understand the impermanent nature of feeling, the very kind of attachment with superglue to something unpleasant almost like creates a solidity to it. The aversion is creating a kind of solidity to that unpleasantness. If we actually look at the unpleasantness itself, we'll see it's coming and going. It's not a reliable place to try to stick to something to try to get rid of it. Likewise with pleasant. It's, it's coming and going. It's not a reliable experience upon which to hang our hopes for happiness. It is just a fleeting experience. And so familiarity with feeling tone. Noticing its conditioned nature, noticing its impermanent nature, its unreliable nature. This will support the mind letting go of its habitual activity 
of craving the pleasant, craving to get rid of the unpleasant. Let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. And um, just a reminder about the chanting and the pumpkins. (laughs) Jaya told me that the chanting this evening will be simple so that the lights don't have to be up to read the sheets so we can appreciate the, the flickering candle. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.